Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Welcome. My name's Austin. If we haven't met yet, I'd love to give you a high five, shake your hand, something like that. Say hello. Uh, glad that you guys are here at Good Shepherd celebrating, worshiping the risen King with us this morning. We are in this series uh, that we just started last week. Uh, it wasn't all in Sunday, just a ton of fun, by the way, before we just move on. I just, I love all the movements in the room. I love all the, the just kind of like, it's just constantly a buzz out here. And uh, we had seven baptisms that we celebrated, a bunch of new members, a uh, bunch of just graduates going on to next seasons of life. So lots of, lots of just fun things going on. We had a bunch of dedications that was super fun. Always a great time to get to see the babies being dedicated, the new families coming up. We, I just heard from Garrick, we have 17 new kindergartners moving into the zone this next year. 17. You can clap, but I'm, I'm terrified for those leaders of that group. Um, it, is, it is great. I'm excited. But like, usually our class sizes are like six, seven. So 17 is going to be challenging. If you want to sign up to help in our elementary age area, uh, we would welcome you. That would be amazing. And we are going to need some extra hands come the fall. Um, amen, somebody, right? So Cheryl, right? Amen. Yeah, come on. All right. Um, Mark. We're doing this series on Mark. And let me just kind of give you a disclosure here at the beginning. Uh, We are not going to be going verse by verse all the way through the book of Mark. Uh, To do that justice, to kind of teach all the way through every single verse and everything, every single story would probably take us somewhere around a year to a year and a half. We'd probably have to spend about 50 to 60 sermons in the gospel of Mark. And I'm just, listen, that's not me. That's, that's not how I roll. That's not what we're going to do. Uh, but we are, my, my hope in going through a book, every time we go through a book, is not just for you to come to church so that you can say, okay, what, what is he going to teach on out of this book? Although I think there is some value in that. But more than that, what I hope to do is I hope to show you how to go home and to read your Bible. So whether we're going through Ephesians or Colossians like we've done before, now we're going through Mark, I don't, I don't hope to tell you what every single story means, but I hope that we give you enough of the big picture through these 14 to 16 weeks in the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, so that you can take that home and you can spend time reading and digesting and sitting in what Mark is trying to communicate about Jesus and you can learn it on your own. Does that make sense? See, so if we, like, if we were going to spend all this time just going verse by verse, I think that would be great. And I think there are teachers that do that really, really well. I just think more of our style is to go, hey, as we look at Exodus, we're not going to go line by line through Exodus. We're not going to go line by line through Mark. But here's the big picture. Here's the big idea. And that way you can then take it and consume it on your own. I think that you should be um, devouring bits of the Bible daily. I just do. I think you should be reading the Bible every single day. And more than just going to, okay, you version app, what is the verse of the day and reading that one verse? There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. If that's the only Bible reading you get in in a day, is that good? Yeah, it's still good, right? But hopefully what you're also doing is you're reading swaths of scripture at a time. I always, I've always liked the analogy that you don't listen to a symphony a few bars at a time. Right? You, want to, you want to take it in. You want to take in the movements and you want to take in the melodies in full measures. And so you want to hear everything as it's going. So should it be with reading your Bible. Read chapters at a time. Read stories. Understand the big narrative that's going on. And then when you come across weird verses, we're like, what in the world does this mean? You'll see it fitting into a bigger story rather than just kind of isolating one thing at a time. 
So there you go. That, well, that's, that is my kind of explanation as why we're not going verse by verse. I don't even know if you care, but that's just what I'm going to share with you this morning. And, and all that to say, this morning, we're going to look at one verse. We're going to look at one verse of Mark this morning. So, you know, maybe the disclaimer was just totally wild, but one verse. And the reason that we're looking at this one verse in particular this morning is because if we don't understand this one verse, then the rest of Mark won't make sense to us. And I know that sounds hyperbolic and that sounds like me just being dramatic to try and hook you into something, and it's not. If we don't understand what Jesus's words are here in Mark 1, verse 15, if we don't understand what this means and we don't let the weight of it kind of sit on us a little bit, then we really aren't gonna comprehend everything that's being offered to us in the book of Mark. So read with me uh, Mark chapter one, verse 15. If you remember last week, what we witnessed was G, uh, John the Baptist out in the wilderness, doing his wilderness thing, being all kind of edgy out there, wearing all of his weird, trendy clothing out in the woods. And he's baptizing people. And he's baptizing people um, with a baptism of repentance, calling them to turn for the kingdom is coming. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus himself gets baptized. And then Mark makes very little where, where Matthew is going to elaborate, where Luke is going to elaborate, um, his temptation, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and his actual baptism itself. So then we pick up here as Jesus begins his ministry in Mark. It says this. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this is the verse we have up on the screen, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel, that word in Greek is just kind of fun to say. Euangelion. Can we all just try that one time? We're just ready. Let's say it on three. One, two, three. Euangelion. Doesn't that just flow off the tongue? Like it's, it's not just like, hey, uh, how was work today? Oh, it was good. I have good news. It's not just like this subtle kind of announcement of like, let's just do some updates and give some good news. Like at our house, dinner table, we usually do good thing, bad thing, weird thing, right? It's, it's broader than that. It's bigger than that. This is, like, this is like a declaration coming that there is, there is good news. I have good news about the kingdom of God. It is at hand. And so there's several things that we have to understand about uh, what's going on contextually here. And the first is, um, why does Jesus start with saying the time is fulfilled? Right? I mean, he just showed up on the scene. Jesus just got here. Just, he's like, he just is getting back from fighting the devil off in the wilderness. And he's, he's now saying, okay, hey, the time is fulfilled. Well, what time? What time is fulfilled? See, Jewish people in this day and age would have been waiting on pins and needles for the coming Messiah. Jewish people thought that time itself broke down into two eons. If you can see it like this, if you can see, um, Judy, can you show up that? Yes. Jewish view of time. The Jews at this point in time believed that there was, there was only two ages that distinctly separated all time. The time that was the old age and the time that was the new age of the time to come. And so what they thought was this present age that we were living in was the old age. The Jews are waiting for the coming Messiah. And if you go all throughout the Old Testament, you see all these verses, verses like this in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah 40, you see that um, it says, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, or O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald the good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the ruler, behold the sovereign reigning Lord. There's this declaration or this announcement that the king is coming. The king and his kingdom are coming. It's this prophetic word given to the nation of Israel that they're just waiting for to happen. 
That Israel knows that there is a coming day where a king is going to come and he's going to usher in the new age to come where there isn't going to be any more pain. There isn't going to be any more sickness. There isn't going to be any more death. And they're just waiting for that day to come. In Psalm 24, David writes it this way. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And he has founded it upon the, the seas and established, I almost said the seasoned. We got a little space to add there. Seas and established it on the rivers. What God's kingdom is, if we could break it down and simply explain it, it is his rule. It's the exercising of his authority, his will being done as king. And so when David writes, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything belongs to him, but everything is not currently operating to his standards. Are they? No. no. He says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in, that the ruler may come and exercise his reign, that the ruler may come and exercise his will. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. There's, this, there's over 500 verses throughout the New Testament and Old Testament talking about the kingdom of God. And Jews would have thought about it, if we can go back to this slide that shows the timeline, Judy, where it says that there's, there is this day that we're currently living in and all Jews are sort of waiting in Jesus's day. They don't, they don't know that it's Jesus. Uh, they, they, don't, they aren't aware of him yet, but they're waiting, just sitting, waiting. Okay, when is this Messiah, this Savior, this King going to come and usher in this age of peace, this age of beauty, this age of restoration? So they would just see it as this distinct time marker where, man, we've been living in this day of sin and brokenness and hurting and pain. And then there's going to be this Messiah that comes. And then we're just going to carry on in the new age to come. But how the Bible reveals to us that the ages and time actually works is this second slide. There's a biblical view of time. Well, this is how we ought to be thinking of the kingdom. Where we have this old age to come, Jesus comes on the scene and is crucified and is resurrected. And then it goes on and that's when the new age begins. But we are somewhere in that square because Jesus has not yet returned as king. Amen? And we know, we know this, we feel this, even as you read this verse in Mark and you hear, okay, uh, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand or it's here, it is imminent, it is within reach. Doesn't the question kind of wrestle into your soul a little bit? Like, well, where is it? Like we just had Uvalde happen a couple weeks ago, right? I mean, you just go back, you, we have this war breaking out with Russia and Ukraine. We have all these, there's, all, there's, there's kids being caught up in trafficking. There's all this brokenness and pain in the world. Where is this kingdom that Jesus brought with him? Don't you question that? And if you understand it just purely based on the way the Jewish people would have approached uh, eons or times, you would say, okay, then Jesus clearly wasn't the Messiah because it didn't usher it in fully. Right, but what we do have is we have this actual biblical view where Jesus doesn't, Jesus says, uh, the time has come. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Your translation might read, uh, it's within reach. It's imminent. It's close. Here's how I, I think about it. This is the way that I kind of break it down in my own head. Um, how many, how many y'all are going to go camping at some point this summer? You spent a bunch of money. You're going to go live like a homeless person for at least a weekend this summer. Yeah. Um, Okay, so when I was growing up, we went camping often. We went camping maybe a couple times a month throughout the summer. And where we would go camping, uh, we would leave from here. We'd be all packed up, uh, trailer ready to go. There'd be toys in the back, motorcycle, ATV, stuff like that. And we would leave on like a Friday afternoon. 
soon as parents could get quit in time from work, right? And then we would go. And the way we would go, we'd have to go all the way through Fort Collins, which Friday afternoon, that would take, you know, half hour to maybe an hour just to get through Fort Collins. Then we'd go up to Laramie, which would take another maybe hour, 45 minutes from there. And then from Laramie, we'd come 40, 50 miles back Southwest into Colorado, where we would finally uh, go camping. So we would travel that whole destination. And as kids, like that's, that's forever, right? Like the only way to break down two hours in car trip time is basically forever. You know? But listen, when we would, where we would go camping, I, I remember it distinctly, I can picture the turnoff right now. We would pass uh, the Waikala Lodge. It'd be on our right. And then there'd be a big parking lot on our right, a dirt parking lot. And then on our left would be this National Forest Access Road. And so when we got to that dirt road, that National Forest Access Road, you would, you would drive then probably about another 30 minutes or so to get to our campsite, to get to the spot where we were camping. But how many of y'all know the camping starts as soon as you hit that dirt road? <laughs> right, like it's, it's begun then. Because what we would do is, is that's the point where parents, if you're in the room, like you could take your seatbelts off, kids, you're free to roam about your cabin, right? <laughs> that's how the stewardess would say it. Or maybe if we got up there uh, way before daylight was, we had enough daylight, we'd get the, we'd get the four-wheeler out, we'd get the dirt bike out, and we would get to actually ride those to the campsite. So, so the camping trip had begun, but we're not yet there actually. Does that make sense? So when Jesus comes on the scene, he is ushering in the kingdom. When he dies, when he's crucified, when he resurrects, he, he begins to usher in that kingdom in a way that Uvalde happens still, yes, but we're able to pray to the Spirit of God to usher in peace like never before. Yes, there are kids caught in trafficking, but we're also able to partner with organizations that are rescuing, renewing, and restoring those kids out of trafficking by the thousands in Southeast Asia. So, so yes, the world is broken, and also, yes, the kingdom of light has pierced through. There are people being saved. Yes, there are still cancer diagnoses happening, and we are also simultaneously praying for healing simultaneously, there is this, all, what, the, what theologians call an already, not yet. Already has the kingdom come, but not yet has it been ushered in fully. Praise God, there is a coming day when the Messiah, Jesus, will return as king. And that's what we read about in Revelation chapter 21. He's going to come, and he's going to be on a horse, and there's going to be a tattoo on his thigh, and his, his robe's going to be dipped in blood, and it's going to be awesome. And what he's going to usher in is the death to death, the end of pain, the end of sickness, and so this ought to, this Jesus' words here, uh, they ought to stir up in us some sense of hope. That man, I, I have a foretaste of glory divine, like we just sang. That because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because Jesus has come into this world, I get to now experience what heaven is like, even though I'm not yet there fully. This is the already not yet. This is where we sit in and we look at the brokenness of the world and, and we feel the sting of pain. And we feel the hurting and we feel the brokenness, absolutely. And we don't settle for it. We beg the Spirit of God to do something in the now to bring heaven into the moment that we're currently inhabiting. This is what the Lord's Prayer is all about, I would say. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Which is talking about two of the very same things. God, bring your kingdom. His kingdom is where his rule and his reign is operating perfectly, where those things are already happening as they would be in heaven. So he says, on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we ought to pray. We ought to pray in a way that stirs us up to say, where, is things, where are things going on in this world right now that don't align with your heart, God? And how can I usher in your kingdom into this moment? 
This is what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is speaking to the fact that he is about to usher in the kingdom. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the first five chapters of Mark. But what we're going to do is we're going to put on a kingdom lens and we're going to ask ourselves, what are the implications of the kingdom of God coming and coming near and being so close that we can taste it and we can experience it, even if it's not where we get to put our feet down firmly yet, right? This is, this is so much better than just the American dream. Like this is something to sell out for, that you can actually impact eternity with the way that you live your life, the way you spend your money, the way you use your words right now. It is so much better than your 401k, so much better than the job that you're working at, so much better than the relationships you're pouring into. This is, we're talking heaven on earth, Eden restored this opportunity that every single person in this room has to be called into this gospel, this euangelion, this good news, that the kingdom of God has come and that God is on the move. Gosh, it was just a couple weeks ago. I, don't, I can't remember if I told this service or I told second service, or I can't even remember if I told either service. I'm talking about healing rooms. I was talking with one of my friends from healing rooms who got to lay his hands on someone's back that was bent, crooked, causing pain all the time. They came back in the next week after praying for them and they had documented on the MRI his spine shifting several degrees to the point where he wasn't in pain anymore. That's amazing. Like the spirit of God breaks through and does things. Gosh, sometimes those same people pray for stuff and you know what happens? They get worse. It's already and it's not yet. But our role as Christians are to, are to sit in the already present circumstances that we have and beg for the Spirit of God to pull heaven into the moment that we're sitting in. Heaven's, heaven's not some faraway distant place. It's where you choose to align with the will and the heart of God. That can happen in husbands. That can happen in wives. That can happen in families. That can happen all over the place. It can happen in businesses, as CEOs or as janitors. The kingdom of God can break loose anywhere there are people of God. And so all over, as we, as we read about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, those are all synonymously talking about the same thing. It's where people are aligned with God's heart perfectly. And we're seeing to it that, that God's vision for human flourishing is happening in the here and now. Because we'll talk about this in coming weeks. That, that box that we're currently living in, the already not yet window, <laughs> you can maybe call it that. No one's ever called it that before. I just made that up. Um, that little square right there, what's happening in that square is it's not just God's will at play. Honestly, I mean, I kind of wish it was the top line. The top line would make it really clean. I mean, life would have been hard, but then Jesus came and now life would be easy and heaven would be here right now fully. But we're not, we're in this bottom one where Jesus has come and he's been crucified. He's been resurrected. The kingdom has come, but he hasn't yet completed everything there is to complete which is, uh, this, this is, is why we have a church right now. That's why, that's why God has a bride to be his hands and feet on the earth that we're living in. But man, in this window right here, there are other wills at play. It is not just God's perfect will being done on earth as it is in heaven right now. What kind of will? I mean, we'll talk about this in coming weeks. We have human wills going on, right? So um, this is, this, let me just pause for just a second. This is what makes marriage so hard. It's because you have a man's will and you have, you have a man's will and a man's kingdom, and you have a woman's will and a woman's kingdom, and you have those two things coming together, what do we call it when two kingdoms come together? War. <laughs> right? That's the word for that. Which is 
why, when Ecclesiastes writes about a, a cord of three strands not being easily broken, that's why God's vision for Christian marriages is to have neither person trying to play the role of king or queen, but to say, no, Jesus, you are Lord. And so you are the one that we're searching after. You are the one we are in pursuit of in even our marriage, in the way that we parent. So here, here's why uh, you might say to yourself as we're going through Mark, I just wish they'd do a topical series. I promise you everything topically is going to come up as we go through the gospel. Everything. It's going to help your marriage. It's going to help the way that you use your finances. It's going to help the way that you parent. It's going to help all of those areas, the way that you see your job, the way that you see your work. All of those areas are impacted by the already not yet. Because now we have a purpose for the here and now to usher in heaven, to usher in heaven. So we have the time is fulfilled. Jesus is announcing. He's proclaiming to people around him and he begins to move. And we're going to see over the next several weeks, he is going to go on just a ministry tear, healing, casting out demons, uh, restoring people, calling people to him. He's going to be doing all of these things. So he says, the kingdom of God is here. The time is fulfilled. He says, it's at hand. It's within our reach. And the last thing that he says, and this is kind of where we will end the morning. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we talked about this last week, that if you treat repentance as a one-time event, as in I repented back there, if, show me the person who sees repentance as a one-time thing, and I will show you someone who is getting steamrolled by their sin. It's, just, it's not. That's, that's not how it works. You don't, just, you don't just fling something off and then you're done with it for forever. But we are in this working out our salvation one degree at a time, being transformed one degree by another is how the Apostle Paul writes it. That as we behold him, as we gaze on his beauty, that is how we are transformed one degree after another. And man, repentance is this ongoing invitation. And, and, and it's not just this changing from our behavior, but it's actually changing the way that we think with our minds. It's, it's not, see, because what Jesus offers in his gospel, in his good news, is, is a different vision for human flourishing than what other people would have. So this is a good question to just ask, like, man, who are, who are you allowing inform your worldview? Who are you spending the most time just consuming that they, that person or that ideology or that, that way of belief is mostly informing your worldview? Maybe it's the way you treat the gym. Maybe it's the way you treat podcasts. Maybe it's the way you listen to Ben Shapiro or NPR. But if we are constantly letting other people dictate our worldview, then we're not truly walking in this repentant life where we're saying, no, I'm letting Jesus and I'm letting the gospel continually inform my way of thinking. Because as I'm walking in this repentant life, what I'm doing is I'm consistently turning from other worldviews or other ways to think. And I'm going, Jesus, how would you have me live right now? Jesus, how would you have me think about this right now? Jesus, this thing just happened that is heartbreaking. How would you have me respond? I'm not just going to let Instagram tell me how to respond. I'm not just going to let Fox News tell me how to respond. I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to ask you, Spirit of the living God, how should I move in this moment? How should I interact with my neighbor who doesn't think the same way that I should think? Right? These are the questions we ought to be asking as we are walking in this lifestyle of repentance. I said this last week, confession and repentance are the two feet that we walk on as we walk out our sanctification, this process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. But he doesn't just say repent. Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Uh, listen, I'll, I'll say this. I think the easy believism Christianity needs to die and go away. Like there's so many people who would just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And then there's, there's nothing in their life to reflect that statement. 
And that, that's, a, that's a dangerous space to be in. That's a dangerous space to be in. Because James, Jesus' half-brother, would later write that a, that a faith without works is dead and cannot save you. He goes so far to say, uh, because I think we, we get so wired to think it's just belief in Jesus is what saves you. But James comes on the scene, and what does he say? He says, even the demons believe. You're like, man, that's a good point, James. Right? Like, even the demons believe in Jesus, and are they saved? No. So what's the difference? It's faith that does that saves. It's not just a faith that mentally ascribes certain thoughts about God, that he is real. If I think that God is real, I'll be saved. No, that's not true. If you have a saving faith that doesn't just believe that Jesus is Lord, but if you have a faith that believes that he was raised from the dead and then manifests itself in the way that you live your life, that's evidence of a saving faith. I think, I think the better word that we could use here, and I'm not trying to correct the Bible because I'm not that smart, right? I mean, we've been over this almost every week. <laughs> Health and exercise science, okay? <laughs> Degree in PE, uh, that's me. But I think a better word we could use here is trust. Trust. See, because belief uh, informs the way that I think, but trust influences the way that I think and the way that I act. So I, I did this terrible thing when I was in youth ministry. This is just going to be kind of a little bit of confession time for me. Um, I saw this Francis Chan sermon. So I was like, if Francis Chan did it, I can do it. You know what I mean? I'll try this thing. I brought a BB gun to youth group, a real BB gun. I don't think it was painted, orange tips, nothing like that. How moronic was this idea, right? I have never told Pastor Kent this, so hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast or anything like that. He's fishing right now. So um, I brought a BB gun to youth group and I brought a pink balloon. I brought a pink balloon. I tied that balloon up on the wall. And I said, how many of you believe that I can shoot that BB gun, that balloon from right here with this BB gun? Like almost every student, I was really proud. You know, they must, must think I'm a real marksman or something like that. They all raised their hand. I was like, how many of you would be willing to hold it? Right? Less hands, less hands. I was like, how many of y'all would be willing to hold it in your mouth? Right? One kid, one, I'm not even kidding. Ukiah. Ukiah, this big, tall, cuddly bear kid. I love him. Um, he grabs the balloon, he puts it in his mouth, and he faces me. <laughs> I was like, well, I appreciate your faith in me right now, bro, but like turn to the side at least, you know what I mean? I didn't shoot the BB gun. You'll be all relieved to know, and you'll all be relieved to know, like Taylor doesn't pull any shenanigans like that yet, right? I mean, who knows what's coming for you, bro? Right, but do, do you see the difference? Belief is just saying, yeah, I think you can hit that balloon. But, but faith, actual faith, actual trust is being willing to hold that sucker in your teeth while someone takes a shot at it. Go, no, I, I trust you that I'm, I'm willing to act on that belief. Does that make sense? It's, it's like believing that somebody could walk on a high wire with a wheelbarrow. Trust is actually getting in the wheelbarrow while they walk across it. So this is, this is the kind of faith that saves versus the kind of faith that even, even the demons have that does not save. Does your faith generate a wholesale trust in Jesus? Where you go, God, I don't understand why you'd call me to tithe, but I trust you with my finances. God, I don't understand why this makes sense to stop and pray right now. I have too many things to do, but you actually stop and you pause and you ask the spirit of God to come in. It's a kind of faith that says, no, Jesus, I actually think you have a better vision for my kid's life than I do. So I'm going to trust you with their plans, not, not just have me develop my plans for them for the future. 
See, faith that trusts is actually willing to lay yourself down in trusting that Jesus will raise it back up again. His way. His way. This is the verse out of Colossians. This is the verse out of Colossians that we'll read. It says, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be uppermost. He might be VIP, the most important thing. I heard it said this last week, it's not that Jesus is top on your priority list. It's that he is the piece of paper that your priority list gets written on. So it's not just, oh, I do Jesus and then I have family and then I have my work. No, it's, it's Jesus is the paper that informs the way that I live my life, the way that I spend my time, the way that I spend my money and the way that I handle my relationships. Jesus is the list that he goes on because he is preeminent. This is the only saving kind of faith. One that treats Jesus as uppermost. Jesus will ride in nobody's sidecar and still save you. Do we get that? And I think so much of what has happened in evangelicalism across our country is it's just, it's in this easy believism. Just believe that Jesus is God and you'll be saved. And there's no calling for fruits, no calling for outward uh, grace-driven effort where that fruit becomes manifested in that person's life. It's like, just believe. If you just know that Jesus is God, even the devil knows that Jesus is God. That's why what we're going to read all throughout Mark is people like demons are coming out. And they're like, don't destroy me. It's not your appointed time. They all know who he is. And so it's not just enough to know who he is. You have to know him deeply. You have to trust him with your life. You have to lay your life down and say to yourself, God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. Like, what do you want from me today, Lord? I'm willing to do it. My yes is on the table. Let me be soft clay in your hands if you want to say it in a real Christianese way. Mold me into whatever you want. I belong to you. I trust you with my life. That, that, doesn't that, that changes the way that you invest your money. It changes the way that you spend your time. By the way, the reason I keep bringing up money and time is because if you want, like just look at three different places to, to read yourself like an MRI with how much you love Jesus. Your money, your time, and what you consume. Your money, your time, and what you consume. If you just look at where your output is in those three different areas, then you're going you're gonna to realize what gods you have in this world. You will. Follow the money. Follow the calendar app. Where you're spending your money, where you're spending your time, and the, thing, the inputs that you're choosing to put into your life. That, that's going to dictate what you worship. That's going to dictate who you follow. And so I, the invitation from Colossians 1. For in him, Jesus, the, all the fullness of God was pleased, pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the invitation has come. The invitation is follow. Trust me is what Jesus is saying to every single person in this room. Trust him, trust him. Quit following after your own vision for your life and trust God for a better one. It might not be a more comfortable one. It might not be an easier one it will be a better one. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his own death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So for everyone who has said, Jesus, I trust you. This is how you now stand before God, holy and blameless, perfect. I love that this is followed up. Mark um, chapter one. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn, renew your thinking and believe, trust in Jesus. Trust 
in the gospel, trust in the good news of the kingdom, that God is beginning to do a new thing. God is beginning to heal. God is beginning to restore. God is on the move. Trust it, follow after it, sell out for it. Abandon everything else if you have to and follow him. And then Mark follows that story up with Jesus calling the first disciples. It goes right into it. The next verse, 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. One of Mark's favorite words is coming up here. He says, and immediately. Mark uses it all the time in these first couple of chapters. Have you noticed that? Immediately, 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 immediately. So he calls these guys and immediately they what? Left their nets. They left their old way of living. They abandoned what they knew. They, they were willing to forsake. Like, do you see that their belief was not just something they mentally ascribed to, but it was something that manifested itself in their actions. Do we see that? They were like, this guy has some good news. This guy's calling us to follow him. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Listen, the invitation today, the invitation every week that you're here is to follow Jesus. Follow after him. Sell out for him. Lay your life down and trust him. And I think every single person, every week we come in here, man, uh, can we just be honest that, that my, my deepest conviction is that Jesus is Lord and I want to follow him with my whole heart. Is that most of us in here? I would say, yes, I've made that decision to trust and to follow him. And, and yet also, if I can be really honest, I'd kind of rather be at the pool right now. I'm, I'm being honest right now, actually. It's supposed to be a beautiful day today. It was a beautiful day yesterday. Like there are other places I would rather be. At times, man, y'all are just leaving me up here to dry. That's, that's, <laughs> that's fine. We all have different pockets and areas of our life where we, we know this is true. We've made the decision to follow him. And yet we have some spaces where we still aren't following him perfectly. We're still trying to hold on to that one behavior. We're st we still get a little anxious about things, even though Jesus tells us to fear not. We, we, still, we still get worried. We still, we still don't use our finances perfectly. We still see somebody that we could help and we pass them by. And so what's the good news of the kingdom? The good news of the kingdom is that Jesus died, just like we read in Colossians chapter one, and that he paid a ransom for many. In other words, he, he saw the blemishes, he saw the imperfections that you have in your life. And he said, no, it's, it's worth it. I, I want them. I'm coming after them. And he chose us. And, he, and because he died on the cross, he has now ushered in an age where even though we are imperfect, even though we have sin that we're still working out, if we are truly in our heart going, Jesus, I want you more than anything else, even though we're not going to do that perfectly all the time, he's going to be faithful and just to keep forgiving us of things that we mess up. That's the good news. I, I don't want this message to be this, oh my gosh, am I even a Christian as we walk out of here? Unless it needs to be unless it needs to be. Look back over the last 10, 15, 20 years of your life. What fruit of the Spirit's coming out of you at this point? Where's the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Are those things coming out of you? If not, maybe you ought to ask the question, have I just ascribed to a belief in Jesus where I'm okay with intellectually knowing about him? Or have I actually made a decision to say, God, no, I'm surrendering my will, my free will to you. And whatever you want from me, I'm yours. Again, that's not, 
It's not for me to be critical or not for, not for me to judge. It's not for anyone to judge whether you've made that decision or not. It is up to you though to really evaluate. Has my faith generated works? Don't get it twisted. It's not the other way around. Your works and your good works will never be pleasing enough to God that that will generate faith in you. But if you have genuine faith, then that will always manifest itself in becoming more and more Christ-like in this kind of grace-driven effort as we all become more like him. I think the most kind and loving thing I could do this morning is just say, is that happening in your life? Even looking around, I know so many faces. That's happening all over this place. Jesus is doing so many amazing, wonderful, beautiful kingdom things. I just think it's all of us taking the inventory every now and then to go, is that me? Is that me? And so let's just take a moment before we end the service today. And I just want to pray. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit. It is Pentecost Sunday after all, right? And we'll just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? And would you, would you do the convicting that needs convicting this morning? And would you do the encouraging that needs encouraging this morning? Would you pick us up, Lord? So if you would, if you just, we're not going to stand up yet. Would you just kind of stay in your seats? Even if you want to just open up your hands, willing to receive. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Come and rest on us this morning. Just pray, Lord, that people would, would um, as, we, as we're gathered here in this room, would you reach down from heaven and would you touch us if we haven't actually been following you? Maybe we know about you. Maybe we've heard about you. We've seen the good things that you've done around us, but maybe we personally aren't following you. And Jesus, I just ask that for everyone who's wanting to make that decision today, they would just say, Jesus, I belong to you. I lay my life down in your hands. I trust you. God, for everyone who's already made that decision, who's already walking out this effort of of repentance and confession and trying to be more Christ-like, would you let us rest in the fact that you are perfect and we will never be. We never will be. But God, as we behold you, as we consistently gather just to look at you, just to gather with other saints and get together. And as we stir each other up by love and good works, would we see more and more of you coming through us, God? I pray that we, our striving would cease, that we would just rest and melt into the Father's hands, knowing that you love us and that you've called us and that you see us in the perfect righteousness of Christ right now. That's how you see us. And with that, and with that identity, allow us to continue on becoming more like you. We thank you, Jesus, that your invitation is for all to follow. Regardless of how deep in sin somebody in this room is, how, how busted up or how broken their life is, even for people who are Christians, God, your invitation is to follow. And so would we just continually forsake our nets, forsake our old way of living, leave those things behind and chase after you. Let our mistakes live in the past. Let our mistakes live in the past and let us chase after you, Jesus. We love you and it's in your name that we pray. And the church said, amen.